Welcome back to Winfield Rain. So glad to have you with us today as we talk about another one of those areas that has caused a lot of division among Jesus followers and yet is loved by people who come in from the outside of church, people who don't know Jesus. Scratch their heads at this one to begin with, but once somebody talks to them about what's happening through bread and wine, they really get into it and appreciate it. At least that's been my experience. Explanations take time, uh, but and they could uh, transform an awkward moment into a magnet for someone towards Jesus. That's what we're going to be doing today, helping you have that conversation so that the Lord's Supper might be a proclamation as it was designed to be uh, for Jesus followers to the unbelieving world. And to help me do that, Dr. John Parlow, thanks for helping us think through this topic. Always a pleasure to join Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I see what you did there. Uh, John, let's start simple. Whether we call it communion, Lord's Supper, the table, or simply the supper, what are we talking about here? Where did it come from? What's its origin? And, and why do we celebrate it? Well, its origin is Jesus in the upper room the night before what we call Good Friday, where he dies for the sins of the whole world. He's with his disciples, uh, second floor. That was normally the floor people would uh, go ahead and eat and entertain on. And he's sitting with his disciples, by the way, around a U-shaped table. If you got that Leonardo da Vinci picture. I mean, it's not wide and narrow? No, it's not. And, and John doesn't have an extra arm. I think if you look close, he has an extra arm. But uh, it's, uh, it's a U-shaped table. Mary Magdalene. Yeah, yeah, something it? like that, yeah. You lean on your left in that culture, generally speaking, and ate with your right. And that means you had pretty private talks with the person in front of you and back. And you can kind of figure out where everyone was because obviously Peter's across the room because at one point he's, he motions to John, so he's not next to John, and says, hey, ask Jesus who the person is who's going to go ahead and betray him. And then it says, I believe John leans back, so Jesus had to be behind him. Mm-hmm. And that means also Judas had to be on the other side of Jesus because yeah. Jesus and him have Dipped a conversation. Yeah. Yep. And takes off. But it's it's a Monday Thursday. We call it Monday Thursday. It's a Latin word for all of you Latin people, mandatum, <laughs> meaning command Thursday. We are to love one another as Jesus has loved yeah. us. And by that, people know who we are. He also institutes what we call the Lord's Supper. They're, they're gathering around the Passover meal where God had saved his people Israel from the hands of the Egyptians by sending the 10th plague, which was the plague of the death of the firstborn. And God said, I'll tell you what, you want to get through it, you go ahead and you eat this special meal to remind you of how God has rescued you from all of the hardship and all the different meal elements had some meaning. And Mm -hmm. then they were to eat Mm -hmm. a lamb that had no blemish to remind them that of the perfect lamb one day who would come and take away the sins of the whole world, which John the Baptist pointed out was Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. So they take some of the blood, they put it on the doorframe of their homes. And then that night, the angel of the Lord passed over over the homes. They're celebrating that meal. By the way, just aside, when I was a kid and I was watching the old Ten Commandments. There you go. Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. And then Yul Brenner, the bald guy, was a great feral. Yeah. I mean, I would be really disappointed. I know Pharaoh's not going to probably be in heaven, but, you know, if he was, <laughs> if he did look like Euro Brown, I would be kind of bummed out. Now, also, was it Charlton Heston with yeah. Moses? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I just that green fog yeah. came in. I always said, oh, the kid kind of scared the snot out of me all the time. <laughs> but, you know, that was, that was pretty cool. Anyways, Jesus is celebrating that with his disciples. And this is the last time because he's the fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And so he uses that which is there in the elements. Uh, they used wine. And they had unleavened bread, the bread of haste. And he uses that to institute what we know as the Lord's Supper. So that's mm-hmm. when that happens. Yeah. Now, how do we celebrate it today in the church? Yeah, every church uh, is maybe a little different. I, I know that we at St. Mark, we go ahead and offer it two times 
a month, uh, the first weekend of the month at our Green Bay campus and the third weekend of the month at our De Pere campus. And we offer it at all of our services. Certainly, we offer it to the sick and the homebound and the hospitalized and those who request private communion. We never hesitate to offer it to those folks as well. Excellent. Thanks for and just, giving just us a side note, yeah, just, yeah. just for the listener. It's not only in Matthew chapter uh, 26, it's in Mark 14, it's Luke 22, 1 Corinthians 11, yeah. John 13. So it's out there. You can right, read it's five times, it. right? Yeah, in the yeah, New Testament, each of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, and then, and then uh, Cor- Paul does it in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians again. Yeah. yeah. So you know it's if it's recorded that often, there's there's a reason for that. Within the church today, there's this big debate on whether the bread and wine are the body and blood, whether they are represent the body and blood or whether they become the body and blood. For a lot of people listening, that sounds like splitting hairs, but there's a difference between those, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Again, we're going to run back to the time of the Reformation where Luther is trying to reform where the Catholic Church went off the rails when it came to biblical teaching. And one of them was on the Lord's Supper where they believed it was actually transubstantiation, which is the idea that it changes into the body and blood of Christ, which then allegedly really the the bread and wine somehow disappear. There's a whole bunch of things we could talk about there. And and also they used it as a way uh, to earn forgiveness and and merit favor with God. And and there are a lot of problems with all of that. But the problem is Luther ran into a group of guys who were on his side, but when it came to the Lord's Supper, they simply couldn't believe that God could be physically and truly present in heaven and on earth in this Mm -hmm. sacrament at the same time, to which Luther in essence said, it doesn't matter if your brain can't figure it out. There's a lot of things we we can't figure out, like eternity, (laughs) right? But if it's in the book, it's God's truth. And so he kind of wrestled with some people who said, I I just can't believe that. And so one of them uh, said, you know what? I I think it's simply, it's Jesus said, this is. And one guy said, I think he was using his other hand to point toward himself. I remember reading (laughs) some of that. Or there's another guy said, I don't think he meant is. I think he meant represents or or I've heard people say this as in the people around him, yeah. the, bo- the, the body of believers. This is the body yeah, yeah, of Christ. Right. And, and is means is. Jesus was really clear. He's not talking yeah. a figurative speech. Because he could talking, have used other things. He could have used a lot he, of different people things. People will say, well, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Or, you know, he uses. But in those places, he gives clear indicators of figurative language. Yeah, that's which context. Are here. Context matters. Again, you can't take it out of uh, out of you know, the context itself. So that's the that's the idea. That's where you get that whole idea of represents. And, and you know, I've dealt a lot in going to different seminaries, hearing people say, well, you know, um, I, I can pull a picture out of my wallet or show it on my iPhone yeah, and yeah. that's my family. See, this is my family. It's not really my family. It represents my family. And I, I, I told them, you know, I'll, I'll let you argue that if you want to go into the Gospels, this is my body, this is my blood. But the Holy Spirit made clear that everyone knew what that actually was. Real presence is what we call it, where we have bread and wine and, and the body and blood of Christ in, with, and under the bread and the wine in a real yet a, a mysterious way for our strength and, and forgiveness. But uh, I always say, you go to 1 Corinthians 11, starting at first, I would encourage our people to go, start at verse 25. He points out from between 25 and 30, understand you're not just partaking of bread and wine, but if you partake of it in a sinful fashion, you're sinning against the body and the blood of Christ. So he's got all four things there, and that kind of shuts the case. And when I've shared that with other seminary professors, they simply say, well, this isn't a hill we're worth worth dying on. Because (laughs) in a lot of their systematic theology, they, they really kind of, at least from my vantage point, pick and choose 
hmm. passages and those that don't seem to square with what they're teaching, they kind of ignore or try to explain away like others yeah, do yeah. with baptism. Uh, when we talk about uh, going beyond, going, going, you know, what follows after what, what it is you're taking at the Lord's Supper, um, some Jesus followers fear that communion seems a little clicky, as in exclusive, uh, since not everyone is invited to the table. Who is invited, who isn't? And why do we make that distinction? Well, let's just talk about who, who's there. Jesus says it's for his disciples. It would obviously be repentant disciples, uh, people who acknowledge that they're sinners in need of a Savior. And that you see that when Jesus talks about in Matthew 26, 26, when he says, he's talking to his disciples, right? Take any followers sure. of Jesus, people yeah. who know him. There's some instruction there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24, um, points out, uh, as Paul is quoting Jesus, this is my body, which is which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this talks about their followers of Jesus who actually kind of know what Jesus has done, what he teaches, and so on. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28 says, a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. So you got to be able to examine yourself. That is, yeah. you have to be able to go ahead and know exactly what God is giving you in that sacrament. That's important. So all of those are key. Now, just do the flip side. How about those who aren't repentant? Maybe they're under church discipline. And when we live in a willful sin, the Bible, for example, in Hebrews chapter 10, tells us that we're destroying our faith. It's like gangrene just eats away like false doctrine does. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, those that haven't been instructed one way or another. Now, we can talk about how much do you have to be instructed to know that you're prepared to take the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Now, sometimes we as Lutherans probably go off the rails because we, <laughs> we almost, in, in, you know, we insist that, that especially children have a pre-seminary education before they take the Lord's Supper. <laughs> yeah. and, and adults, we kind of give a pass to sure. in a certain sense. Uh, the other one is able to examine themselves, the idea that able to acknowledge mm. to someone that, yes, I, I recognize my sin and I'm sorry for it. I realize I turn to Jesus only for forgiveness, knowing that he has won for me that forgiveness on yeah. the cross and that he offers me that forgiveness, that he's won for me in this sacrament. Now, I have uh, people go, what about someone who is um, mentally handicapped sure. or like my son, special needs? Well, again, realize the Lord's Supper is one way that God strengthens faith and offers that forgiveness and, and gives that forgiveness. Uh, when people are severely handicapped one way or another, God's word still works yeah. with those, and they still are in their baptismal grace, right? right? They're still in right. that baptismal faith. That's important. I've, I've actually, I don't know if you've ever done this, Ben, I've actually given people who are in a coma uh, the Lord's Supper who are able to tell me who they are. Okay. What happens is they can't speak. It's like they're trapped in their body and can't wake up. I forgot what the medical term for that is, but they'll squeeze your hand. Okay. And you, you might have to make sure it's not just kind of random squeezing. So uh, they always kept the, the one guy in Baraboo, they kept the uh, TV on for him. And I said, well, how many... How many points did the Packers score last game? And he, there was only seven. That was back in the time when we weren't very good. But uh, <laughs> they, he, he squeezed my head seven times. I said, okay. "How many? How many? Uh, you know, uh, how many sons do I have?" And he squeezed my hand yeah. three times. So I yeah. made sure. And then I simply asked him, um, "Do you do you wish to take the Lord's Supper? Squeeze once for yes, twice for no." Okay. And I, I worked through that. And then all I had to do is take the. I took a piece of the wafer. Went ahead and, and put dip, it in dip. the wine okay. and then put it on his tongue. And, you know, but otherwise, there's other people who are in a coma, they can't respond anyway. Right, right. You still share God's word with them because yeah. the last thing to go is hearing, yeah. and faith comes from hearing that message. So, with all of that in mind, you make sure they can examine themselves. And finally, uh, those that are not united in a common faith, you know, 1 mm. Corinthians 10 talk, and I know we're going to expand on this, but 1 Corinthians 10 talks about people. 
uh, when you come to the Lord's table, when you come to an altar, at that altar, you're confessing agreement, and and we don't want to have that uh, get put words in people's mouths. And I know yeah. we're going to open that up in just a minute, so I'll let you go ahead and ask the question, because <laughs> it, it's something that's on the question of our minds of listeners right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, we, we talk about that of um, people community together who have kind of raised their hand and have made a commitment to uh, a statement of faith, a congregation, and not wanting to assume anything about anybody. But I want to kind of put that, help us think that through a little bit more deeply just by living in that scenario a little bit, a scenario that a lot of our partners, a lot of churchgoers find themselves in. They invite a friend to church, realize, you know, everybody gets there, realize it's communion. What do you say to that that visitor, that friend, that coworker that you've brought with you? How do you talk that through with somebody? I think you probably address it before you show up, but okay. uh, just... In my years of ministry, at the very beginning, I saw a lot more people get upset about not being able to take communion than I do today, because a lot of people are like, I, no, I just wouldn't walk up to someone's table, yeah, yeah, and I don't even know what's going on up there. I'm not really <laughs> sure what's going on up there. And of course, the way we do uh, continuous flow communion right now in our De Pere site is pretty confusing anyways <laughs> for our partners. But I, I would simply say, uh, you know, I would have this discussion. We have communion. Listen, uh, if you want to take it, we have a course that you need to take so you better understand. Yeah. And that's why you and I, at, at our services at St. Mark Lutheran at both campuses, we have something we put on the screens that yeah. talk about, it's been the church's history to go ahead and guard the table, so to speak, sure. or to practice what's called closed and close communion, because that's not a Lutheran thing. We do it as confessional uh, biblical Lutherans because it's in the Bible. We do it because it's in the Bible. It's because we want to care for someone. Something that people reali- don't realize is go ahead and pick up your Bible or look at your Bible app and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. There it says some people, Paul says, were taking the Lord's Supper in Corinth in a sinful way. Some were getting drunk at the table. Some were sinning in some other fashion we're not told about. And Paul says, for that reason, God has made some of you sick and others have fallen asleep. He made sure they died. Yeah, yeah. Well, that caused great fear in the church, and that's one of the reasons you wanted to make sure people were instructed yeah. and weren't living in sin. You didn't want to do anything that would harm their faith, so you would guard the table. You would make sure you guarded it through closed and close communion, closed especially in that, that phraseology, to make sure they didn't harm themselves. A lot of people see that as, oh, you're just being bigoted or yeah, mean yeah, or whatever yeah. you are. No, no. If you understand the Lord's Supper, that's why we don't have you come up here. And you and I explain that quite often. In fact, yeah. I always try to use, when we uh, after the institution of the Lord's Supper, I try to always teach one of four things on a rotation, rotating basis, just so our partners are ready to be able to answer someone who has that question. Sure. Now, what do you do if someone all, all of a sudden comes up yeah. and you and I don't recognize them, which is easy in a very large congregation like we have? Right. Well, they take the Lord's Supper, and then after you try to grab them yeah. and and explain why they need to take the course. I'm not going to play communion cop <laughs> right in front of everyone else. Now, yeah. you and I had a discussion. There are people who are under church discipline who I said, don't come up there. Yeah. And in my ministry, I've had people come up here and challenge me, like, is he going to give it to me or not? Yeah. And I'll point out to the elders who are helping us take give the communion, the men, um, pass him. Yeah. And, and I've had people get kind of upset and say, you want to make a stink? Because I'll turn on my mic and tell everyone why you can't take communion. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, if you want to make a big deal of this, I don't want that to be the case. But you've been told not to come up here, and it's not because we don't love you. It is because we do love you. Yeah. And I don't yeah. want to see your faith destroyed or harmed even more. Right, right. So that's that idea. Yeah. I I mean, if you and I, just think about it. You go back to what? You go back to Jesus' words on how do you care for a brother or sister who's going down a bad road. Yeah. And, and that's that Matthew chapter 18, 
where Jesus tells us you go one on one until they don't let you go one on one anymore. You go two or three on one, make sure everything's done by two or three witnesses. Now that person knows you're serious as well. Then, 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 and only then, after you've accomplished those two and exhausted them, you tell it to the church. Right. Then the church goes and they don't listen to church. Then you do what? You remove them from the church's fellowship. Yeah. Hopefully, removing them from the umbrella of God's grace and protection. And maybe the devil beats on them for a while and they realize their sin and repent and turn back to Jesus. But what, what's the term we use? What's the term we use for that? Excommunicate. Yeah. Well, yeah. think of the Latin. Outside the communion. Uh, outside communion. Keep yeah. away from communion. Yeah. Why? I don't want you to hurt yourself. Right. Excommunication right. is really an act of love saying, wake up. Yeah. Your actions and your choices have removed you from the fellowship of God and the protection and blessing of God. And God may use the fact that you're unprotected now to wake you up. And we as loving brothers and sisters don't want you to harm yourself, so don't come to the table. But if you come forward and try to challenge us, yeah. we're going to pass you, not because we hate you. It's because right. we love you. Right. I've heard um, another pastor use the illustration of if we believe what the Bible says about communion and what its power is, it is like a spiritual pharmacy or spiritual uh, medicine. Uh, and just like we don't have open pharmacies where the pharmacist says, yeah, come in and take whatever you want, you don't do the same thing with the Great table. Great analogy. You would. This is a powerful medicine, but for those who have the sickness, you don't take cancer drugs if you have a, you know, a gallbladder stone, right? Mm-hmm. That's the wrong medication, and it will severely injure you. We don't want to, We don't want the spiritual equivalent to happen to you. Yeah. Um, and so the right medication for the right ailment, if it's not the right ailment, then we want to keep you from that so that you don't hurt yourself. Yeah, I, I like that. That's a great analogy. Uh, very easy to, to share with the congregation and share with others and share with your friend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, just as you, know, you just wouldn't walk up to that pharmacy. I always think too is the Lord's Supper is such a privilege when you understand, and you and I both say this, Luther pointed it out when teaching about it, that it's the only place where it really God touches you physically mm. before his second and final return in a real way, yet a mysterious way by offering yeah. his body and blood with the bread and the wine for our forgiveness and salvation. It's just, it's always something that has kind of uh, awed me. And, uh, I, you know, it's we often say at St. Mark, when you come to worship, it's where heaven and earth collide yeah. for you. Yeah. And the Lord's Supper is certainly a place of that collision. Yeah. Many of our members have been expressing missing communion. Um, we're in the midst of a global pandemic, unable to, or many people are unable or reluctant to worship in person. What have you observed about the the reasoning behind that? And what have you given as advice for, for partners, for Jesus followers who are kind of facing that, that hunger for a communion? Remember what the means of grace are. It's God's word and sacraments, right? The sacraments are empowered by the word. Continue to read your Bible. Yeah. Continue to go through your Bible classes. A lot of people are doing it on Zoom when they're yeah. not comfortable yeah. coming back yet, or they have comorbidities and they can't come back yet. Right. I, I get that. Or they're in states where people listening to us across the United States, uh, you can't, you're locked down still by your governor or the local establishment. Uh, remind them that they're still in their baptism. God mm-hmm. still works faith in their hearts and, and did at their baptism and continues to grow that faith as they study his word. Make use of all of the online things sure, like sure. this podcast and yeah. and uh, all of the online uh, cl- classes and services that people like St. Mark offer you. And you don't have to be in the same state. You can be somewhere else as well and still have that. But then call your pastors. Uh, they'll be happy to set up private communion as we had yeah, here yeah. in a very non-threatening, as safe as possible mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know during the week, anytime. We're happy to do that. Excellent. Well, it's, this is really something that Jesus has left as an incredible blessing for his followers. 
a chance to solidify and express the unity that is so rare in today's day. Uh, it's put on display as often as we join together in communion. Thanks for thinking it through more deeply with us. We've really enjoyed the conversation. I love hearing your questions and feedback on our Facebook group. If you're not part of that yet, go to your Facebook, type in the search bar, discussion group, when fear reigns, you'll find it. Uh, request to join. We'd love to have you in that conversation. And while you're at it on your computer or on your phone, uh, go ahead and leave us a review uh, we love reading those. I read every single one of them, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Store or uh, or uh, Spotify or anything like that. Uh, uh, leaving a rating and review helps other people find it. Uh, and thank you for those. We hope this podcast and all of our now 40 episodes help make room in your life for the fear of God to reign. 